0: Okay, well, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, a lot of you folks remember the old days, you know, our kids uh, don't know some of the things that we had growing up. There's so much technology today and all right. And of course, this being the last day of the baseball season, I can remember as a kid, you know, getting home from church on Sunday afternoon and pulling out that sports page and looking at all those baseball standings and stats, you know, all that stuff. That's how we... That's the only way we knew how to get it back then, right? You had to read the paper. And our kids are like, what? What's a newspaper, you know? In fact, the other day, I was over at my son's, and I said, "Uh, hey, son, uh, can I borrow your newspaper? And he looked at me and laughed. He said, I don't have a newspaper. I said, what is this? 21st century, Dad. He said, but uh, I got an iPad you can look at. (laughs) He kind of laughed and gave it to me. I said, of course, uh, that spider on the wall never knew what hit him. <clears throat> anyways that might have to take a minute to sink in a little bit but that's very true isn't it the older we get the less in touch we seem to be right uh, things change so many things in our lives it's funny you know we will see something on tv or some old show and our, i'll look at Julian. and say, our kids never saw this show this was hilarious you know and, and it's funny to think about that you know all those things well let's get back to our study today we are studying in the book of mark and uh let's turn back to chapter five and i want to read a few passages from there as we're studying of course uh we've been studying a lot about jesus miracles and mark is very good to uh, describe several of jesus miracles miracles dealing with the sickness healing people uh natural things like this calming the storm right and, of course, casting out demons, as we saw in the last part of our lesson last week. Well, let's turn to chapter 5 and begin in verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered them, him, and he was by the sea. And, behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus, by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him. And a great multitude followed him and and, uh, thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. 522, Jairus, one of the rulers of the synagogue, was a lay leader. Man, I messed this completely up. Hold on, let me go back to the beginning. (laughs) Verse 21, now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, there's an array here between the verses, so I got mixed up here. All right, I shouldn't have the study Bible when I'm reading this stuff. Jesus crossed... now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Cherus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on uh, hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather... Grew worse, And when she heard about Jesus, she became behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For he said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed from his affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? (laughs) And he looked around to see her, who had one done this thing? But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Then while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult, and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now notice this first. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl rose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. All right, what we have here are two really wonderful examples of miracles. One, we have someone being raised from the dead. Awesome thing, right? We've dealt with demon possession. We've dealt with sickness. We've dealt with nature. Now he's raising someone from the dead. And how is it done? Well, Look at the woman back that had the flow of blood. She simply touched him. That's all she had to do. She had suffered greatly, right? She had a discharge of blood for 12 years, mistreated by physicians, lost all that she had trying to recover from this. Not sure what it was. It could have been um, um, an excessive menstrual flow, menorrhagia. That's a word for someone who has a problem with menstrual period that lasts longer than seven days. Maybe that's what it was. Others say it might have been something along the, you know, having hemorrhoids or something like that. Don't know for sure what that was, but in that society, that was a problem because a menstruating woman was unclean. She was called a nida in the Jewish society, Hebrew society. So not only was she having this problem physically, she had a problem socially just like the lepers she had to be kept at a distance and if anyone even touched her and knew about this they were considered unclean as well so this was a problem yet she believed in Jesus and she believed by simply touching his clothes in this crowd this multitude that she could be healed interesting how Jesus doesn't even no, she's there apparently until she touches him. And he feels the spirit do its work. She feels that someone has touched him on his clothes. You know, you wouldn't even feel it, probably. But he knows that someone's been healed because of this. In our previous study, we talked about those who were dealing with the man that was possessed by the legion of demons how they were afraid, right, because of it. How those in the area of the Gadarenes asked him to leave because they became afraid of Jesus because he had cast out a thousand demons. But this woman was willing to touch him. Maybe it's because she was at her final straw. Maybe she was at rock bottom. Maybe that was the only thing she could see that could help her. At least she was making an effort, right? But she touched Jesus and was blessed because of that maybe that's something that we need to look at too right <clears throat> something we need to think about are we willing to touch Jesus not physically of course but in the way that we live our lives and the way we understand his word we have another example here right Jared's daughter leader of the synagogue been told his daughter has passed away Jesus has compassion for him, goes with him to the house, says, don't worry, she's just sleeping. Interesting concept, right? they I mean, they know that uh, she's passed, and so much so that they ridicule him when he says it. Was she sleeping or was she actually dead? You might have heard someone argue that before, right? I've heard people try to pass that Lazarus wasn't really dead. He was in a coma or something, you know, and Jairus' daughter wasn't really dead. Well, look over to Luke chapter 8 real quick. Let's read a passage there, just see. Luke chapter 8, <clears throat> beginning in verse 50. It says, But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. And all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took, took her by the hand, and called, saying, little girl, arise. Notice this verse, 55. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. You see here. Luke's account says that the spirit had left. What's the way we understand someone to be dead? You know, I mean, I guess a heart has stopped. We have no pulse. We can't see the spirit, but that's how we understand it, right? The spirit has left the body, the soul is gone. So she was dead. He raised her up. And how did he do it? By a touch little girl couldn't respond to him until he touched her until he healed her until he raised her from the dead it was by a touch simple touch to rise and walk and she did today we can be touched by Jesus as well John 14 says we can enjoy tremendous blessings in Jesus We can experience abundant life. Every spiritual blessing is to be, to be found in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1-3. Colossians 2, we can enjoy a spiritual resurrection now through baptism. John 5 says a bodily, a bodily resurrection to eternal life in the future. We may not be able to be healed miraculously by that touch. But we have that hope, that joy, the blessings that Jesus gives us. Do you want to miss out on that? Why wouldn't you want to touch him? Why wouldn't you want to be part of that? Or are you afraid of him? Imagine the great joy of that woman and the parents and the family of that child. Imagine that. Can you? I don't know maybe someone in here has lost a child I don't know I can't imagine anything worse than that <laughs> can't imagine it yeah we lose parents we lose friends and that's very hard but to lose your own child mm, it just cuts to the heart doesn't it and I'm sorry that that's happened to anyone in here and I know that must have been a terrible thing but simply By having Jesus, we still have that hope, even when we lose a child. Why wouldn't you want to touch him? Why wouldn't you want to be part of those blessings? Let's look at another example of someone who didn't quite understand that either. Turn over there to chapter 6 of Mark. Let's read on. Verse 1, that he says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit, teaching. You ever heard the, uh, the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? Yeah. The better we know people, the more likely we are to find their faults. Yeah. That's kind of what we're seeing here in this example. These people knew who he was. They see and hear what he's doing, and they're thinking, who is this guy? He's just the carpenter's son. We still have his brothers and sisters here with us. What what, what is going on? So much so that they were offended. If you want, turn over to Luke chapter 4 and see his account real quick. Luke chapter 4, verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They were mad. They got upset because of this guy. Jesus says, prophet, you know, not wanted in his own country, right? Jesus got no respect in his own country. Well... In Mark's account it says what he had to limit his teaching in his own country their offense led to him leaving and returning to Capernaum thus depriving themselves of the future teaching and blessings that we receive through Jesus Christ because of their contempt they lost access to him and that's not good Do you really feel like you're blessed by your faith in Jesus Christ? We're not going out and touching him and being miraculously healed, but do you see blessings in your life because of your faith? Think about that. That's something we probably don't really think about too much, right? We go through our lives, we're busy. This happens, that happens. We have some problems, we get through them. Maybe we pray about it. Maybe we study on it. Maybe we work through it, but do we ever stop to consider that maybe these things happen because of the blessings I have because of my faith? You might need to do that perhaps. It might make you feel a little more humble. It might make you think about what's really going on in your life, you know. It's not about me. It's really not. But what joy I can have through him. Now, we're never guilty of it. Do we ever do things like look at the preacher and say, eh, he don't impress me anymore. I don't get anything out of his lessons. Do we ever hear a sermon and say, "Ah, eh, heard that so many times before. Let's move on. I'm tired of it. You ever think that? Ever say that? Because of the contempt that these people have for Jesus, obviously blessings are not received, causing Jesus to marvel, right? In fact, they even tried to kill him. I didn't read all of Luke's account, but Luke says they tried to get him. Mark doesn't mention that. He just says they were astonished. People were so upset because of what this common guy did that they wanted to kill him. Matthew also says it's because of their unbelief. 1358. He did a few things. In Isaac there, he, was, he healed a few. Mark says there were a few. But for the most part, they didn't believe. And he couldn't do any great work there. Hmm. That's an interesting concept, right? Because of their unbelief, he couldn't do much work there. Wait a minute, that has something to do with us then? Yeah. Guess what? You have a free will. You can decide whether Jesus' blessings are kept here. Whether those around us can enjoy them as well. Think about all the nations that have been risen up. We read about in the Old Testament. And have been oppressed because of their unbelief. Think about all the things that happened because people turned away kind of makes you wonder about where we are today right? in our country and the way things are going on around us you know, I don't know some of you folks would say 50 years ago it was a lot different wasn't it hundred years ago well nobody hundred years I don't guess if you're hundred years old I'm, I need to check you out up you're probably dead but Things have changed, haven't they? People get away from God. It happens, and blessings go away. All right, moving on. Next, Mark chapter 6 there, we have Jesus has to leave his home country, goes on to uh, Capernaum and other places, and then he is going to start telling his disciples something to do. We talked about how we have faith, how we live that out through our prayer life through our study. Now we're going to talk about that service side of it. Beginning of verse 7. It says, and he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. Commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, In whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place, and whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with all many who were sick, and they healed them. Here we have Mark's account of the limited commission, right? Uh, so-called because he limited their work to the house of Israel, not, not to others. And let's turn over to Matthew chapter 10 real quick and read Matthew's account because he elaborates a little more on this. I want to read that real quickly. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Lab- Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also portrayed him. These twelve, Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There's that limited commission. And as you go, preach, saying... The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hmm. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts nor bag for your journey. Nor two tunics nor sandals nor staffs for a worker is worthy of his food. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. and whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words. when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. All right. Here we have some principles of evangelism, you might say, right? We have some things that Jesus is telling his disciples to do when he sends them out. First of all, they are to go two by two. Right? And you think, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, that's something we would call synergy, right? Jesus, when he sends out the 70 in Luke 10, he did the same thing. When Paul and Barnabas went out, they went together. And then remember, they had their little schism over John Mark. And Barnabas took John Mark, and Paul took Silas. They went out two by two, never went alone. That's an interesting concept, right? Why? Well, for one, you can encourage each other. I mean, have you ever done this, gone out and tried to preach and teach a little bit? Did you do it alone? It can get disheartening, can't it? Especially when you're rejected. I went on a, little, a couple of door knocking campaigns this year already. A couple of those houses we got rejected, <laughs> a couple of times, kind of heatedly rejected. And your first, you know, your first inclination is, "Wait a minute, what are you talking about?" But Jesus says, "Shake off the dust of your feet." The house is not found worthy, and you think, well, You know, but our first inclination is to bow up and you know what do you mean you know i'm just trying to be nice here you know come on no he says leave get out of there they don't want to hear it no sense casting your pearls before swine right it's a very good concept a very interesting concept the way it's read here when two of them are working together they can do more by working separate this is uh straight out of ecclesiastes if you want turn over ecclesiastes chapter 4 Let's read a couple of verses from there. Because the Ecclesiastes chapter 4, this is from wise King Solomon, verse 9, it says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. When Adam was created, And all the garden and every creation was done. What did God say? (laughs) It is good. But then he said, man should not be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. So what did he do? He creates Eve. There's this thing called synergy. Being together. Having someone to help you. Going it alone is a tough thing, Right? And I know some of you in here may have been, may have done that, right? Maybe you're doing it right now and you know it's tough. Being alone is not an easy thing. Perhaps one of the reasons you're here is because this is really the only family you have. Going out to evangelize, go two by two. He also says, don't take any money, don't have two tunics. Why is that? Can you imagine going out on a trip and not taking any money? Just thinking, I'm just going to find somebody that will take me in and hopefully they'll feed me. That's pretty much what he's saying. Go to places who are found worthy. Find the brethren. They'll take care of you. What's it say about us? Do we need to be providing support for folks like this? Do we we need to be willing to take people in who are working in the field? When we're working in the field, which we should do, are we willing to trust the Lord so much that we don't have to worry about what we need? These principles of support for workers are defended by Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. It's applied to elders who real well. It was encouraged by John years later in his writings. It's a very scriptural thing. Back, turn over to Second Corinthians chapter 11. Let's read something Paul said about that. Verse uh, Verse 7 says, Did I commit sin in owning myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked. The brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. In everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. We are to support those who are in the field. We are support those who are preaching the gospel. Interesting concept, right? This is the limited commission. Jesus asks them to go out and preach repentance and that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Of course, we later get the great commission, Mark 16, Matthew 28. Go out into all the world preaching Jesus Christ, making disciples of Jesus Christ. So there's a little bit more to it than just repenting, just being taught that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and that's what our commission is, right? (coughs) Another couple points I want to make on this. Paul went into the synagogues. We know that through his writings, right? When he would go into a city, the first thing he would do was go into the synagogue. In the synagogues, especially in uh, Israel, or what we call Palestine, they were Jews, And there were Jews in the synagogues in Galatia, in Macedonia, you know, Corinth, these areas. But there were also Gentiles in there, proselyte Jews. There were also people there that perhaps just were trying to be devout. Remember Lydia? Remember Cornelius? Paul went to where the people could hear it. And most likely would be willing to hear it. Good point, right? Goes along with that synergy point, right? But what else did he do? Did they go in, did he bring in a circus? Did they come in and have a big show? No. He just preached the word, he just preached the gospel as he knew it. And we talked last week how that mustard seed. That gospel started very tiny and because they preached that word it grew to the point where all the world knew about him that's all they did he didn't go out and have a big dog and pony show they just preached the word and remember the mystery of the growing seed because of that word that was preached the kingdom grew didn't see it happening necessarily didn't know how it happened. They just did what they were told to do, preach the word. That says a little bit about what we see sometimes today in, quote, Christianity, right? A lot of show, right? See that on TV if you watch any of the stuff that goes on there, right? A lot of uh, pomp and circumstance. Just preach the word, man. Know about that gospel. It has power. All right, moving on there. Let's read on. Somebody else starts noticing about this Jesus here, Mark. Beginning verse 14 there. Now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet, or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John... Whom I beheaded, he's been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For he had married her, because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. Interesting how that kind of parallels Pilate at the end, right? And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half my kingdom. So she went out and asked her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. So immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought and he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother and when his disciples have heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Isn't it interesting how we'll have leaders out throughout the old Testament remember uh, Daniel kind of had the same thing went little lion's den because Darius had made this silly decree about only worshiping him yet he loved Daniel and Daniel wasn't gonna do that Daniel was only gonna worship the one true God Darius had to throw him in the lion's den he thought that was it he was distraught over because he loved Daniel just like Herod like John the Baptist even leaders can get themselves in trouble can't they doing stuff well, doing stupid stuff, right? Off the cusp a little bit. Herod ruled there in, uh, in Judah. He was, a uh, this, is, this is Herod Antipas. He's of the Tetrarch. When Jesus was born, it was Herod the Great, his father. Uh, Herod the Great ruled up until about 4 B.C. Uh, Jesus was born about that time. Uh, some of you may wonder why Jesus was born in 4 B.C., before Christ. And that's simply because Dionysius, who kind of came up with the calendar in 525 AD or whatever, uh, came up with it, I don't know the whole story there. Uh, You could research it on Google probably. Uh, But they attribute Jesus being born at the time of Herod the Great, who all scholars believe died in four BC. That's how that happened. So supposedly Jesus was actually born four years before the calendar started with AD. All right, so Herod the Great is born. He's the one who gives the decree to kill all the children, and Jesus is taken to Egypt. Uh, He's there about three, three and a half years, something like that. When he comes back, Herod the Great has died, has passed away. His kingdom is now split up by four different rulers. There's a tetrarchy. Herod Antipas rules in Judea and uh, Perea. If you ever look at them out, you know where Judea is, or Judah, the southern kingdom, right? Southern part not the southern kingdom, well it is the southern kingdom, whether well, there's the four rulers. Um, Herod was uh, married, to, uh, His actually Herod's mother was Malthus, who was a Samaritan, so he had a Samaritan mother. Herod the Great was actually not really Jewish, he was from Idumea, which was south of Judah, and he was educated in Rome, because Rome was the governing, you know, emperor empire at that time. Uh, brothers Archelaus and Philip were educated with him. Uh, if you study through Acts and all, you can get a little confused on this. Acts 12, there's Herod who killed James. That's actually Agrippa the I, who was this Herod's nephew. If you're in Acts 26, when Paul goes before Herod, remember? That's actually Agrippa the second, who was this Herod's grandnephew. And so you have a lot of Herods. But this is Herod Antipas. He's part of a four-kingdom uh, tetrarchy. Archelaus' full brother, uh, I'm sorry, Antipas was in Galilee, not Judea. He, he rules over Galilee. Uh, Archelaus is Judea, Adamaia, Samaria. Philip II, who's his half-brother, is in Iteria, and Lysanias is in Syria. So there's the four in the Tetrarchy. All right, there's your history lesson for the day. <coughs> All right, Antipas, uh, he's, he's, he, is a, he is considered by Rome to be a ruler of that region. Later on in Judea, of course, Pilate is assigned as the governor, the Roman governor. So the Herods were more the um, symbolic heads of the region, right? Rome ruled the region. Rome had the ultimate, Caesar was the ultimate authority in these areas. But Herod can make decrees, he can make do things religiously. Rome let, just like uh, the Medes and Persians, would let uh, these people continue their religious efforts and so they let the Jews continue in their traditions and religious practices and so forth. And Herod liked to hear John the Baptist preach. He, was, uh, he, he liked him. He didn't repent. He took his brother's wife. She was the fourth of his ten wives. And uh, they got together in Rome. Philip's brother, he was actually married before. They get together decide to divorce their spouses and get together. They're actually, I think, cousins or second cousins or something. John the Baptist told him about it. John said, you're living in adultery, dude. You got your brother's wife. You know, not only is that <laughs> adultery, but, you know, it's, it's condemned in Leviticus. That was one of the laws. You cannot take your, do not take your brother's wife. Leviticus 20, verse 21. That's a problem for him. But, you know, he's kind of okay. I understand you, John, but I, I'm afraid. He was afraid, you know, he's afraid to do anything with him because the people love John. Herodias didn't like it too much though she had a problem with it she didn't care for him too much what happens there's a party for her birthday her daughter dances in front of him he's so pleased by it that he rashly says I'll give you half of my kingdom I don't know how much he had to drink to get to that point but I'm sure he wasn't in his right mind Herodias tells her oh John the Baptist's head (laughs) Well, he's not happy about that either, but what's he gonna do? All these people saw what he said. His peers. If he backs out on it now, he's gonna look like a fool. So it's more important to him. Keep a straight face, right? Isn't that funny how in life sometimes things occur unjustly? Because we gotta keep up appearances. Even Herod did it. He was a bit superstitious about things. And so, he's easily manipulated. Uh, he has John the Baptist killed. And because Herodias's uh, trickery, he's killed. And Herod is downtrodden about it. Eventually, uh, Herod is ex- exiled into Gaul, which was France or whatever. Tradition says Herodias actually... Join him there in exile. Um, he, she made an attempt to have Emperor Caligula uh, go against Agrippa. I don't know why, but that's something that's if you can Google that. But here we have a man who is in power, but he's pretty weak, right? He kind of goes with the way things look instead of being resolute, right? Do we do that? Yeah, we can be good Christians while we're here, right? Amongst us. But out there in the neighborhood or at work, do we kind of let our principles down a little bit sometimes? Because we want to keep a straight face or we want to look like them? Something to think about, right? Jesus said in Matthew 1, verse 11, Surely I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen any one greater than john the baptist he was willing to tell herod he was wrong even if it meant his life just something to think about all right time is up thanks for being here